a whole lot to say and not a whole lot of time to say it. So I want to I want to jump in, but I believe there will be a demonstration of God's word today. I believe there will be a demonstration of God's word today. I believe that. I, I do hope that you're hungry this morning. And I'm not talking about grits and eggs and bacon. You know, I'm, I'm talking about are you spiritually hungry? Amen. Jesus uh, said those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And righteousness which we, we really need to reteach that in, in in our in our 21st century world because righteousness literally means the comprehensive plan of god you know righteousness isn't just living right remember the bible says that jesus is our what righteousness so jesus isn't just your living right jesus is the comprehensive will of god doesn't the bible teach us that the Bible says I, of Jesus that I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I what? Hear my father saying. My father is working and I work. So Jesus represent, represents the comprehensive will of God. So when the Bible tells us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying hunger and thirst for the comprehensive will of God. Let me say it a different way. I want everything God said I'm supposed to have. Does that make sense? And included in that is living right. <laughs> That's a part of it. But we've made that all of it. And there are people who live right but broke. They live right but they're sick and diseased. They live right but their marriage is going down. They live right but their children are in disarray. And they say, well, I'm living righteously. No, you're living partially. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Nothing missing, nothing broken. Whenever a Jew says shalom, he's not just saying just go and let everything be okay. He's saying that everything that, that's in your life be filled with God's presence. When Jesus said, my peace, my shalom, I leave with you. Every area of your life. Oh, God, I'm looking forward to this word. Jesus, have mercy. Lord, Lord, I want to talk about righteousness today. But that's not my assignment. That's not my assignment. Go with me uh, in your Bibles to two places of Scripture. Genesis chapter 1. Lord, have mercy. There is a good grace from God today for some hungry people. If you're sitting beside somebody who's not hungry, move. Because they're going to mess you up. They're going to mess you up. Because I'm going to say, look to your neighbor, and you're going to be like. <laughs> so you need to go ahead and find somebody. <laughs> just go and ask your neighbor, are you hungry? Just tell me now. Just, come on. Just, just, just say, tell me now. Just, just, just let me know. That way when the man of God says, turn to your neighbor, I turn to my other neighbor. <laughs> Jesus. Don't let somebody cause you to miss out on something good. Amen. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. And uh, I'm sorry. You know what? 
Um, never, you know what? Forget it. I'll, 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 I'll put that on the back end. Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. When you're there, say, I'm there. And then we're going to look at Isaiah 55. Verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. We need to preach that in the 21st century, don't we? We need to preach XX and XY. Amen to that. I preached a message a couple years ago. Literally, it was what? X, Y. Sometimes you have to say stuff that people don't think about today. Okay, I'll, never mind. I'll leave that alone. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be what? Fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You notice that? Notice that God says what? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Tell you never God told that to you. God told that to you. God told that to you. Well, he was talking to Adam. Well, according to the Bible, all of us were where? In Adam. Just like you were in your parents. And your parents were in your grandparents, and your grandparents were in your great grand. You see my point? If you carry that back far enough, you get to what? We were all where? In Adam. You feel what I'm saying? You say, well, hold on. Adam doesn't, Adam doesn't give birth to children. No, men begot children, women birthed children. Begotting is the, is the, is the expression of a seed, birthing is the delivering of a seed. Women don't have seed. Men don't have a birth canal. Basic biology, right? Men have seed. Women have a birth canal. Got it? So from a seed perspective, we were all where? In Adam. When he fell, we all what? Fell. Thank God for Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus was the last Adam. Am I right about that? And when he was raised, we were raised. Do you feel what I'm saying? Because we were all where? In him. Okay, that's not the message either. Go with me to Genesis chapter. I'm just throwing these little pieces in there. Chapter 2, and then we'll go to Isaiah 55. Verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Same book. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from there it was parted and became four heads that's all I wanted want you to see there notice very quickly that God put the man in a specific place got it 
Where did he put the man? He put the man in the garden, eastward in Eden. It's not the garden of Eden. He put man in the garden, in Eden, in a specific location. The Bible says he put the man where? Eastward in Eden. Got it? It's very important. Go to Isaiah 55. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Probably one of my favorite passages uh, to read. Look with me at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, what? Higher than your ways. And what? My thoughts are what? Higher than your thoughts, God. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and produce, makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, Lord Jesus. So shall my word be that comes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the place where I sent it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray today that as we share the word of God for these brief moments, that you will do something in time that reverberates through eternity. That you will do something in this time space that has generational implications. Oh, God, we trust you to do that. Your anointing can do that. Your power can do that. Your presence can do that. And I believe you for that today. The church has prayed. The man and the woman of God have prayed. And here I've prayed, and here we stand. Thank you for this moment. We give you praise for what shall be accomplished today by your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to minister the thought today uh, simply entitled, Thinking About Prosperity. Thinking about prosperity. Thinking about prosperity. I'm not ignorant of the fact that when we hear the word prosperity, most people approach a secular connotation to it. They approach a secularized, human, natural, American, capitalism type of approach. They, they, they attach that perspective to it when they hear the word prosperity. But ladies and gentlemen, I contend with you that prosperity doesn't belong to Americans. I contend to you that prosperity doesn't belong to people who are participating in a capitalistic form of economy. I I submit to you that uh, the the essence and the origin of prosperity isn't in Western democracy. It isn't in, you know, this life that we live here in America where we have access to clothes and cars and houses and malls and so on and so forth. That prosperity was God's original idea for man. I submit to you this morning that the idea of prospering 
the idea of success and accomplishment, the idea of attainment did not originate with what other people have called prosperity preachers. I submit to you that there is no such thing in the secular connotation as the prosperity gospel. There's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. And the Bible tells us that the word gospel means good news. Greek history tells us that the word gospel isn't just good news, but it's news that's almost too good to be uttered. And that's the choice of term that Jesus chose to communicate his message. That when I'm preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, it's a message that's almost too good to be uttered. When was the last time you heard news like that? I'm talking about news that it's almost like you're shaking on your lips to say it because it's so good. That you're wondering if people are going to look at you crazy when you really say it the way that it needs to be communicated. That God's gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, is so good, it's so radically good, it's so transformingly good. That is almost like, Lord, if I say it, are they really going to believe it? You see, what we've done is we've taken the gospel to mean only good news in one category of life. That it's good news about heaven. That it's good news about eternity. That it's good news that your sins have been forgiven. It's good news that you will spend eternity with God. But that's the extent of the good news. And unfortunately, the church and many people by default have accepted the fact that we must have good news in heaven and bad news in the earth. And then just handle the bad news in the earth because ultimately what? Good news is coming when we get to heaven in the sweet by and by when the morning comes, when all of God's saints shall be all together in one. And we'll tell the story of how we overcome and we'll understand it better. Come on, y'all know it. You about 35, you don't have a clue what we just talked about. (laughs) That we accept bad news here, accept bad doctor's reports, accept bad marital reports, accept bad financial reports, accept bad reports about our children. But guess what? In the sweet by and by in heaven, everything is going to be all right. But I contend with you that that was never Jesus' message. I contend with you that Jesus never preached an escapist mentality. I contend with you that Jesus never communicated a message that when you get to heaven, that's when you will experience all of your good news. I contend with you that Jesus taught a gospel that had a lot of good news here and a lot of good news there. I contend with you that Jesus modeled a message that brought the kingdom of God From heaven to earth. Jesus said, 
The poor have the gospel preached to them. The sick are healed. The lame are made well. The dumb speak. The deaf hear. The blind see. Because the kingdom of God is among you. Now, if you're deaf, what's good news to a deaf person? That I can hear. If you're mute and you can't speak, what's good news to a mute person? That my tongue is loose and I can speak. If I'm poor, what's good news to a poor person? That I don't have to live and stay poor for all of my days. What's good news for a person who's lame in their legs? Not a wheelchair, that's a blessing, but that's not the good news. The good news is Jesus is a healer and he can raise you from that position of being paralyzed. But because we haven't preached this, then we have acquiesced, we have condescended to partial good news. And I'm here to tell you that God wants you to believe for more than what you've been believing him for. I'm here to tell you that God wants you to believe for more than what you're believing him for. I'm going to say it till I get a few more hungry people. That God wants you to believe for more than what you've been believing him for. And I know there are people who communicate well, you know, seek his heart and not his hand. I know there are people who communicate, you know, don't come to God always talking about what you need. I get the concept of gratitude. But what we don't understand is, listen to me very carefully. God's kingdom is set up independent of him, but yet dependent upon him. This is what I mean by that. That God's kingdom is his system of bringing heaven's best to your life. Let me say it again. God's kingdom is his system of bringing heaven's best to your life. Meaning that I can talk to God and have an intimate, close relationship with him and still not have his kingdom manifest in my life. Because just because I have him, that doesn't mean I have the manifestation of his kingdom. I must put a demand upon his kingdom. Somebody say a demand. Somebody say demand. Somebody say demand. You know, Pastor mentioned earlier about writing a check. Most of us don't write checks anymore. And a check in the banking world was called a DDA or a demand deposit account or a demand deposit instrument. Meaning when you write it and you submit it, you are putting a demand upon funds that are in an account. But if you never write it, then you never put a demand upon the funds that are in what? The account. So now we have what? Debit cards, right? We swipe our cards, and those cards put a demand upon the available currency in a particular account. But if I never swipe the card, I never what? Put a demand upon what's there. Having the card doesn't do anything. Swiping the card is what causes a transaction to take place. So we must put a demand upon the kingdom. You can have access to it, but never put a demand upon it. So I'm born again. That means now I have what? Access to the kingdom of God. But having access doesn't cause a transfer. Having a debit card doesn't change anything until I go to the store and what? Swipe it and create the transaction. And there are millions of sincere believers walking around with the credit card of the kingdom of God. And never swipe it. Because, listen to me very carefully, they think that the available balance 
on the other side of the card is their balance. Okay, you missed what I just said. So let me just spend $5 because I only got $12 in my account. God said this card isn't connected to your account. Okay, okay, no, no, no. Oh, God, I feel like screaming. That this card is connected to to the kingdom of God. That's why the Bible says that faith creates the exchange. Hebrews 11 and 1, without what? Faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he what? Is and that he is what? No, you know, no, 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 no. Come on, say it real loud. That he what? Is and that he's a rewarder. No, no, no. That he what? Is and that he's a rewarder. No, not he is or. No, no, see, we preach a gospel that he is or. No, he said, yeah, you come to God, believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. So when I'm seeking his face, he says, don't seek my face or my hand. Seek my face and my hand. So what you're supposed to believe me for isn't based upon the job you have. What you're believing me for isn't based upon your retirement account. It's not based upon your geography or where you live. What you're believing me for is based upon what I have access to. And he says the silver is mine. The gold is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to me. He says the earth is the Lord. Come on. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the what? Fullness. And the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein. Look to your neighbor and say, everything here belongs to God. No, I'm not sure if that neighbor is really hungry. Look to somebody else and say, everything here belongs to God. Hallelujah, Jesus. I feel like preaching, but I can't go there right now. Lord have mercy. Everything here belongs to God. We're, we're talking to God like he only owns a little piece of something. We're talking to God like he only has access to what you have access to. Let me say it a different way. We talk to God like God lives by the 1st and the 15th. You know, well, well, you know when I get paid, I'm going to. See, that, that's how we talk to God. God's like 1st and 15th. I don't know what you're talking about. This is the day. No, 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 you missed it. Not the 15th that hasn't gotten here yet. No, this is the day that the Lord has made. That means God says, I can do this right now without your paycheck. I can do this right now without your HR. I can do this right now. But we get mentally trapped in a cycle of of payday. God doesn't need your payday to pay you. Okay. Lord Jesus. I need, I need, I'm, I need to preach to the hungry people. Where the hungry people at? Everybody else just chill and listen to us. Just, y'all, just, y'all just listen in. I'm telling you that God doesn't need your payday to bless you. Moses brought water from a rock. 
That don't sound like payday to me. That don't sound like payday to me. He brought quail from all over the country, 24 inches high and two miles wide in a circle. They went to sleep the night, that night. They were talking about God ain't blessing us. We're, we're out here in the desert. We're out here in the wilderness. They were just griping and so forth. God told Moses, I'm going to show them. Let, let, I'm, I'm going to show them tomorrow who I am. So they griping to God because they don't have no meat. We out here eating, y'all eating bread that came from heaven. Y'all not talking to me. So, so, so bread is miraculously showing up. Tasting like, you know, old Charlie's yeast bros. Come on. Come on, talk to me. Old Charlie's yeast bros showing up every morning, fresh. I mean, when you squeeze them, they just, come, y'all know what I'm talking about? you like, man, that's the devil. This is all the devil. This is the devil. Listen. Y'all getting yeast rolls from heaven. And y'all complaining? Cool. So this is what God says. Tell them to go to sleep. I'm going to show y'all tomorrow who I am. And when they woke up the next morning, quail 24 inches high and two miles wide in a circle were sitting on the camp. And he told Moses, is my arm short that I can't save? <laughs> what was he saying? Let me, let me translate. He said, do I need your job to do this? You didn't hear what I said. You didn't, no, you didn't hear what I, Do I need your job to do this? Where do you go and buy quail 24 inches high and, and, and two miles in a circle? You can't go buy that. God said, I govern the economies of the world. Help me, Holy Spirit. So what happens in sincere Christianity is that sincere Christianity puts sincere parameters on the power of God. We put sincere parameters on the power of God. I mean, we don't really mean harm. We don't really intend to rebuff God's majesty and his brilliance and so forth. But we're sincerely trying to figure out how God is going to get this done within the parameters of what I have access to. Am I right about it? How are you going to get this done with the people I know or with the job I have? or with my level of education, or with my degree of relationships, or with my level of attractiveness, or whatever, and we're trying to fit the kingdom of God into the parameters of our own sincerity. And we end up living significantly less than God's best for us. And when we see people prospering, we, we celebrate their testimony. But what we're, what we're really trying to figure out is how they did it. Come on, talk to me. Can I get some honest folks at the church this morning? We, I mean, we, we like, amen, praise the Lord. In our, how they did that? Because our own sincerity blinds us to the power of God manifesting beyond the context of what we have access to. God said, I know everybody. 
I remember years ago, tell a quick story. We were publishing uh, the first book in 2007, 8-ish, somewhere in there. And uh, the, the, the publisher was covering 70% of the cost. We were covering 30% of the cost. And so our, our 30% totaled out to be right at $4,000. And this was, again, 2007, 8. And as we were going through this process, and I, and I remember telling, uh, telling Omega, I said, man, the Lord didn't create this opportunity for us not to have the resources to do it. And at that time, we were pastoring full-time. Uh, I had left the bank. I mean, our kids were, of course, much younger. And it was just believing God for the, for the necessities of life. Because we walked away from, what, a great income. And we were pouring everything into God's work, so, so on and so forth. So another $4,000 for a book project just wasn't in the budget. Now, we had a budget, and it wasn't in the budget. <laughs> Does that make sense? Look to him and say, you had a budget. I just want to reiterate something. I know the man that got, come on. Come on, say it again. Say what? I have a budget. Okay. Just, just want to make sure you ain't lying in church. Okay, moving forward. And I was praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit one morning, and praying in the spirit, and the Lord put a person's name in my heart to call. And I said, Lord, I don't even know how to get access to that person. It was somebody that I knew, when I say knew, meaning had one conversation with when I was in high school. So you're talking about years had passed. I'm like, Lord, call them for what? The Lord said, call them. I didn't, so back 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I pulled up the phone book. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know what that is. Like a phone book. Phone book? Okay, okay. Cool, got it. So put out the phone book, and I flipping through, flipping through, flipping through, look down. Oh, that's their name, their phone number. I said, Lord, I don't know what this is going to be about. So I picked up the phone, called them on the phone. Hey, it's Marcus Benjamin. Uh, I met you through your husband X years ago when I was in high school, so on and so forth. You know what? I do remember that, so on and so forth. I said, well, you know, we're pastoring a church uh, um, in, you know, Bishop. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I said, the Lord put you on my heart this morning uh, for, me, for me to give you a call. And she said, won't you come by and see me? Cool. So, hung up the phone. I told her, Mika, she didn't. I said, I'm going to go make a run for a second. I'll be back. She's like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to make a run. Because <laughs> I didn't quite know how this thing was going to pan out. So, went uh, uh, to her house sat down, had great conversation, great catching up with her, her kids, talking about her kids, and you know, her husband passed away, so on and so forth, and just great conversation. And she said, well, man of God, since you're here, I got a question to ask you. And I said, sure. She said, I was uh, reading the scripture this morning, this chapter this morning, and I got stuck on an understanding of this, of this passage, and I want to know if you could help me with it. She said, I printed it out on my printer. Can you go get it off the printer and bring it over to me? So I went up to the printer, pulled the paper off, and it was the account in Kings where the widow woman sustained the prophet. And I, I said, Jesus, have mercy. I sat on that chair like, Lord, you can't, this, this, this can't be happening right now. And so I read the passage. And I interpreted it from, you know, from, from this contextual perspective and, you know, from its biblical perspective. And she was like, so that means God's blessed me to bless a man of God. I said, yes, ma'am. She says, well, you're the man of God here. How can I bless you? And I was like, 
okay. I need four thousand dollars. <laughs> I got a book contract. <laughs> and she was like, "No, what do we think about that?" She said, "Can you come in by later this evening?" I said, "Sure." So I left, ran some more errands. You know, I was gone all day. And I told Amika, I said, I, "You know, I'll be back later tonight." Went back to her house that night, sat down. She said, "You know what? I'm just telling you, this is like one of the most exciting things I've ever done." And she sat there and wrote a check to me for four thousand dollars. Am I telling the truth, sweetheart? No, no, listen. I'm in prayer, praying in the Holy Ghost. And a person I met for about 12 minutes when I was in high school, he says, call her. And when he's telling me to call her, she's at home reading Kings and doesn't understand it. I'm trying to communicate to you that God knows everybody. You don't have to know them. I was getting ready to scream, but I was getting ready to scream. Taking it, we're thinking about prosperity. Let me get to the text. I'm almost getting to the climax of the message today. God told uh, Moses, Moses wrote, that he created people, humans, male and female. How? In his image and after his likeness. If that is true, and we believe it what? It is. Who would God then decide to have his image have his likeness, and then live destitute. How does God make that decision? So I'm, gonna, I'm going to unilaterally give everybody my image and my likeness. But then I'm going to selectively choose the people in various places in the world to live destitute. And that be my will. You can't rationalize poverty with that scripture. You can't rationalize being destitute with that position. Who would God say, I created you in my image and after my likeness, but yet I've predetermined for you to be sick and diseased? I mean, how do, how do I logically follow that through? It doesn't logically flow. I'm going to create you in my image and after my likeness, and then I want you, I want you to live a life paralyzed, Enable, an inept, broken, sick, frustrated, diseased, depressed, and from that bring glory. That doesn't even follow logically. So I have two children. So I'm going to, both of them have my image and my likeness. But I'm going to choose for destiny to be prosperous, successful, accomplished. And I'm going to choose my other, my other child, Isaiah to be sick, diseased, and broken, and needing handouts for the rest of his life. That doesn't follow logically. And so what we have to understand is that there is a difference between God's idea of prosperity and how we experience prosperity in our lives. Look at him and say, there's a difference. No, say it again, say, there's a difference. 
Because, and oh God, sin separated the fluid expression of God's image and likeness into our expressions of life. Let me say it a different way. That God created every human alive in his image and, and what? After his likeness, having the command for prosperity on their life. But because sin came in, sin now shuts the door on the free flow of that idea into every person's life. So men and women create cultures that either restrict or enhance the presence of God. Men and women make decisions to create communities that either cause the free flow of God's presence or restricting the flow of God's presence. Let me say it a different way. Poverty was created by people, not by God. Let me give you just a, a modern example. I, I got to move a little bit faster. Quick, quick example of this. There are many third world countries right now that harvest grain enough to feed their entire country. But the country is destitute because the government exports that grain to the United States to feed our cattle. So our cattle in America gets grain from third world countries. And the people in that third world country don't even have food to eat. So who created poverty? Man. Because the prosperity is there. But the system that men created brings it to some and keeps it from others. So cows eat better than people. You feel what I'm saying? Cows eat better than people. So the problem isn't the availability of resources. The problem is how men choose to allocate it. So God says, put not your trust in man. Put not your confidence in man. The Bible says if you put your confidence in man, it's like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Because men will change on oh God. People will flip on you. I, I, I'm, I'm talking about even some folks who love Jesus will what? Flip. So if my confidence is in what somebody else said they're going to do for me, I'm going to constantly come up disappointed. Because men create systems that restrict the free flow of prosperity. Does that make sense? And because men do that, we have to have a power that can bring our life into conformity. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> write this down. Write this down. <laughs> oh, I hope I'm helping somebody. Whenever God speaks, write this down. Whenever God speaks, his word carries inherent power with it whenever God speaks his word carries inherent power with it somebody say inherent that means it's built in 
When something has inherent power, it means the power is what? Built into it. It's almost like uh, there are certain, there are certain uh, speakers that have power already what? Built in. And then there are other ones you have to what? Connect a power source what? To it. To give power to it. Does that make sense? You see, men, our words don't have inherent power. The only entity's words that have inherent power is God. His words have what? Power built into it. Our words, we have to borrow power from another source. God can't borrow power from anybody else because why? Nothing else is greater than him. So his word has what? Inherent power already what? Built into it. That's why he said, I read in Isaiah 55, he said, so shall my word be that goes what? Forth from my mouth. It will accomplish. It will perform. Because in the word is the power to bring the word to pass. No, 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 no. Let's try it again. Inside of the word, it's the power to bring the what? Word to pass. You remember Matthew 8 when this, uh, the centurion uh, was coming to Jesus regarding his sick servant. And the centurion said, I'm a man, what? In authority. And I also am a man, what? Under authority. I understand the power of words. He said, you need not come to my house. Come on, just five people who've read their Bible. He said what? But speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus said something that he never said at any other time, any other place, to any other people. He said, I haven't seen this type of faith anywhere. Because this military man understood the power of words. So when a military captain speaks, he borrows power from his superior. Come on, you know those those what those what brass on their on their on their left shoulder. Am I right about it? That level of brass tells you how much power his or her words have. And if they say stand to attention, until they say what at ease, soldier. Because they're borrowing power from what? A higher source. So when God speaks a word, he doesn't have to borrow power from anybody's. That means all I got to do is get him to say it. I just need five. Oh, God, my time. Lord, just five people. That if I can, if I can get him to say it. If I can get him to speak over my life what, he's, what he already is thinking about me. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the what? Thoughts and plans I have for you. Thoughts of what? Peace and not of what? Evil to give you what? Hope in the future. But I don't need him thinking about it. I need him talking to me about it. Hallelujah. So all I've got to do, the Bible says, put me in remembrance of my word. When you put God in remembrance of his word, you are provoking God to say over your life what he desires for your life. God, you remember you said, and God says, you're right, I said. Oh, 
Oh, you, you miss it. God, you remember you said you would, you would bless my food and my water and take sickness away from the midst of me? You're right. I said I'm going to bless your food and your water. I'm going to take. Okay. See, let, me, let, me give it, let me give it to you a different way. Let me give it, some, of, some of y'all grew up in the country. Not all of y'all. Some of y'all grew up in the country. <laughs> And see, I grew up in the country, too, and I remember as a boy, my mother would tell us, you know, early in the morning, and we hated it during the wintertime, but we had to go outside and prime a pump. Anybody have any idea? I know if you're in the under 40, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I get it. I get it. You've seen pictures. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you got to go outside, and you got to take a little bit of water, right, and you pour it into the pump, and then you pour it in, and then you have to what? Start pumping it like this. And somehow the hydraulics work, and by priming it or by putting a little bit in it of what's already in it. Okay, no, no, let's try it again. I put a little bit in it of what's already in it. It brings out what's already in it in an abundance. So just for teaching purposes, what if God is the pump? And what if your words is the primer? So in order to do I got to put what? The same thing in it. That's in, in abundance. So God's word is in him in abundance. All I do is put a little bit of word what? So when I remind him of what he said, God, you said you would do exceeding and abundantly above all that you can ask your thing. I'm priming the pump. Then God says, you're right. I said, I'm able to. Exceeding and abundantly above all that you could ask a thing. So when he says it. His word has the power within it to bring it to pass. Hallelujah. So we've been talking too much, Dr. Phil and Oprah. We've been talking too much, Real Housewives of. It's okay, just smile at me. We've been talking too much, Duck Dynasty. We've been talking too much what other people said. No, I need to say what God said. I need to say what God said. Because his word has the power within it to bring itself to pass. And so God told you, this is where I'm bringing this up. He said, be fruitful. Right? Multiply. Replenish the earth. Subdue it and have dominion. So if he said it and the word has within it the power to bring itself to pass. You ready for this? That means God's been trying to prosper you your whole life. You're the one fighting against it. Oh, God. (laughs) Because he says, this is how I see you. Say it a different way. I'm trying to heal you. You trying to keep yourself sick. He said, I'm trying to prosper you. You're the one trying to keep yourself what? Low and average. He says, I'm trying to take your marriage to the next level. You're the one trying to keep an average house. Because when he says it, all of his resources what? Go to work to what? Bring it to pass. So if it's not happening, it means in some way I'm fighting against the plan of God. And I'm telling you one of the ways that we do it, we fight against God's plan with sincerity. We don't mean any harm. We sincerely choose to live below 
God's highest and best for us. We say stuff like, God, you know I don't want too much. When I grew up, it was, any way you bless me, Lord, I'll be what? Satisfied. That's a lie. We were lying. Y'all ain't, come, y'all ain't doing me right. We were lying. It sounded good. We thought it was the right thing to say, but we knew we were lying. He says he'll put godly desires in my heart. Am I, am I telling the Bible? He said he will put desires in your heart. But we haven't been audacious enough to walk out where we really felt God what? Telling us in our heart. And I'm talking about Marcus Benjamin included. You know, sometimes I think about, man, if I really say what I really think, I won't have no friends. No, I'm serious. I'm like, man, if I, I'm like, Lord Jesus, okay, no, I can't say that. No, I can't say that. No, I can't say that, 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 or that. <laughs> because, see, see, you have to say, my, my wife can attest, listen, when I, when I, when I, when I, I don't not sleep because I'm worried and stressed. I don't sleep because I'm, I'm constantly thinking about how to change this entire planet. No, no, I'm not talking, see, see, you know what I'm saying? I ain't talking about some motivational sounding good stuff. I'm talking about literally, I will not die until I change this planet. Those are the kind of thoughts that go on in my head at night. God, how do we do this? God, how do we do this? What decisions do I need to make? And my wife knows, if I was married to anybody else, I'd have been divorced three times by now. (laughs) No, this is real. I'm not easy to live with. Am I telling the truth we are? <laughs> she helping me out in church, right? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. For years, my wife, you know, I str- you know, I've struggled with communication. You going to talk to me? Oh god. Not that I don't want to talk to her. There's so much going on in my head. You feel what I'm saying? And then you add to the fact that I didn't grow up seeing my dad talk. It compounds my internal conversation. So I would rather talk to myself. Does that make sense? And that's not right. That's not right. So I had to what? Get delivered. And still being delivered. (laughs) I'm serious. And we'll yet be delivered. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to need deliverance. Because when he said, I'm able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could dare ask or think. I believe that. No, I'm not talking about maybe. No, I believe that. And so when I wake up, that's what I'm expecting to do today. Like, for real. Like, don't get in my way for real. And I have to get that thing tempered. 
because I can, I can, I can, I can go crazy. You know, anybody play sports? Anybody play, played ED sports or play sports right now? Raise your hand, raise your hand. I mean, all right. Now, how many of you good? <laughs> if I got two hands up. We had a few. Ah, well, you know. But <laughs> no, listen, to what, listen to what I'm saying. I mean, God, okay, Marcus, don't go there. That, that takes too long of a story. But... The, but what I'm endeavoring to communicate to you is, even when I played sports, when I, when I, basketball specifically, you know, I, you know, when I was a when I was a sophomore, let me just say, sophomore. Anybody knows, you know, basketball. You know, I was a sophomore in high school, my first year playing basketball. I, you know, back then they sat you on the bench according to how how uh, soon you would get in the game. So whoever sat right beside the coach, you were the sixth, seventh, eighth. If you sat all the way down there, you know what that meant. You're not touching the floor unless you're up by thirty. That means your jersey going home dry tonight. That's where I sat. That's where I sat as a sophomore in high school. And I can remember looking down that row one night of the game, looking down that row and saying, Marcus, why are you good enough to be on the team but not good enough to play? That day, everything changed. No, no, you know, oh, God. That day, everything changed. Mentally, switch came on. Switch came on. When that switch came on, when I graduated high school, two years later, all state, all conference, all region, first team this, first team that, 27 points, nine assists, eight rebounds a game. From the end of the bench, a season and a half earlier. Because once that switch goes on, it's game over. No, I'm, I'm see, it, it, okay. Because when I got saved, Jesus put something in me. And I'm trying to, com- oh, God, have mercy. Oh, Mark. Okay, I got to put a semicolon in this message. Listen to what I'm saying. Maybe the reason why God's people aren't prospering at the level that they should is because they're not subduing. He says he told us to be fruitful, multiply, replenish, Subdue. You know what subdue literally means? It means to bring it into conformity. It means you're bringing something in conformity. It means something is what? It's out of form. Something is contradictory, and you're bringing it into conformity. Make that real practical. What are the things that are against your next season of prosperity? What are those attitudes? What are those ideas? What are those people? What are those circumstances? It's now your job by the grace of God to what? Bring those things into conformity to the will of God. So you're bringing your flesh into conformity to the will of God. You're bringing your money management into conformity to the will of God. It literally means that you move beyond emotion and you move into power. You see, most people only do stuff that they feel like doing. But if you're going to bring your body into conformity to the will of God, you're going to have to exercise when you don't feel like it. Oh, you didn't realize I was coming there, did you? Because, see, conformity means you don't feel like it, but you force it to what? To agree. That means you said, I'm going to the gym. Guess what that means? I'm going to the gym whether I feel like it or not. 
That means I got to get up early in the morning. You know, most successful people wake up at 5 a.m. They get up at 5 a.m., they get three hours of productivity in before you ate breakfast. You didn't hear what I said. They get three hours of productivity in before you ate breakfast. You're still eating breakfast and, and, and watching Good Morning America. You do understand. Lord, okay, okay. You, you know, there are watches in the night, right? You know, there are watches, right? You do understand that between 3 and 5 a.m. is when the secrets of God are revealed. Between 3 and 5 a.m. If you're waiting to hear from God after 5 a.m., you're missing 90% of what he already said. The dew on the ground represents the, the secrets of God. When the dew lifts, his secrets leave you. When the dew lifts, his secrets leave you. And only people who wake up in the final watch receive the secrets of God. So while we sleeping, he's talking. You ever had one of those divine dreams and you wake up and you and for the life of you, you can't call back what you what you saw and what you heard? I mean, come on, you and it's like, man, you and you're trying to force your mind to what? Recall it. It's like, and it's gone. Because when God's trying to talk to us, we sleep in. I'm just not a morning person. You're a liar. Bring your life into conformity. Bring it into conformity. Who cares what you are? Oh, see, see, oh, God. I, I, I'm just not a people's person. No, stay broke then. Bring it into conformity. Learn how to smile and talk to people. You don't have haters. You just nasty. Hating on me. No, you just jacked up in your attitude. Smile at somebody and your haters will disappear. Bring it into conformity. I just don't like to be around groups of people. Bring it into conformity. I'm going to care what you like to do. That's how we get messed up. Doing stuff because we like it. What? I think Muhammad Ali said, what? Suffer every day and live like a champion. He said, suffer every day and live like a champion. Where did that principle come from? It came from God's word. He didn't create that. It came from God's word. God told you to what? Subdue. What are the top five things you need to subdue to walk in God's plan for your life? What are the top five things you need to do? Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your money management. Maybe it's your people skills. Maybe it's your time management. Maybe it's your commitment to sacrifice. I'm just throwing those out there. Maybe those five don't apply to you. But what are the five things you need to what? Subdue. Maybe it's following somebody's instructions. Maybe you've never had anybody tell you what to do that you liked, and you ain't having nobody tell you what to do now. (laughs) 
maybe you need to find somebody you can respect enough to listen to what they have to say and take heed to their instructions, doubting nothing. Oh, I got another one. I'll finish here. What about subduing your passion for entertainment? Maybe if it ain't entertaining, you don't engage it. You can spend hours on Netflix, can't spend 10 minutes in the Word. You hours in front of the television watching sports or watching this or watching that. You binge watching your favorite episodes on TV all weekend long, but 10 minutes in the Word, you know, oh, I'm done, I'm tired. Because your brain has been shaped by entertainment. Maybe you need to fast from social media to recalibrate your brain on how to focus on your own life. You feel what I'm saying? Our children between 14 and 19, you ready for this? Will spend over half of those years on their devices. Between 14 and 19, you will spend half of that time on a device being involved in somebody else's life. How has your brain been shaped over half, over half of that period of time? We're saying kids don't have attention span. No, you got a good attention span. You just shaped it for it to be short. You can't read longer than 140 characters. You can't watch a video longer than two minutes. But you're going to be productive in life? What about when you've got to sit through a webinar for three hours to get an advanced certification? And you can't skip through it. Look to your neighbor and say, subdue it. I don't know what your it is, but you better subdue it. Because if not, you're going to be shouting over God's best, praying in tongues over God's best, dancing over God's best, and knowing that God's best is available while you're staying outside the room, looking at somebody else experience it. Looking at somebody else experience it. And be like, Lord, I thought you said it. God's like, yeah, I did say it. I said the same thing to you that I said to them. They just went out and subdued. I want to pray for you this morning, this afternoon now, that you would, one, be honest with yourself about what you need to subdue. And number two, you would make a commitment to subdue it. Because if you can't be honest, God can't help you and I can't either. Stand to your feet, please. Thank you for listening to the Resurrection Church Podcast. We hope you are encouraged and ready to win souls for Christ. For more information or to plan your visit, go to rc-hickory.org.